Today, I'm having a conversation with Colleen Ryan Hensley. She is a veteran of the Navy and a mental health advocate trained in performance psychology. She's also founder of Binging Sober, an online community created to serve those who are stuck in a spiral of unhealthy habits and are ready for change. On today's episode, we talk about all the escapisms humans use to escape difficult emotions and circumstances, as well as the culture of toughness that leads us to a need for escape. Here's an honest conversation that will inspire you to consider your own isms and give you some inspo for durable change. Welcome back to Health Bite, my podcast where I offer you small, actionable bites towards healthy weight and weight management through greater mental, emotional, and physical well-being. I wholeheartedly believe that our relationship with food is a window into our relationship with ourselves. Understanding this relationship will not only facilitate healthy weight and weight management, but will have rippling effects that impact every aspect of your life. In the nearly two decades that I've worked as an obesity medicine specialist, I have seen firsthand the life-changing effects of this transformative work, and I'm so excited to share my insights with you. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Udeen, and I created this podcast as an alternative to the noise to offer you knowledge-based guidance in the areas of nutrition, fitness, habit change, and mindset that I use with my patients in my medical practice every single day to help them achieve healthy weight and health. More episodes are available at dradrianudeem.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter and shoot me an email. I'd love to hear about your journey. Okay, here we go. Let's dig in to this week's episode. Well, Colleen, I'm so excited to have you here. Such an appropriate time. It's dry January. So welcome. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's my pleasure. I think my readers and podcast listeners know that alcohol has become an interesting subject for me personally. I write about it in the book, Hungry for More, and talk about my personal realization about my relationship with alcohol and not having to have a negative relationship per se to question it. So I'm curious, tell me kind of how you got interested in in this work. Well, uh, just a little bit about me. My background is in performance psychology. I spent 11 years in the Navy, um, super, super into the mental toughness aspect and the stoicism. So I say that because it's a mission of mine to redefine mental toughness, to include going back to those feelings that a lot of time, a lot of times are wreaking havoc on our mental health and causing us to use these escape isms to feel better, but they rarely ever make us feel better. And so performance psychology is really, you know, methods in peak performance, but I want to take that to the masses with a program that I created called hashtag binging sober. A lot of these performance tactics are really the underpinnings of this process that I've used myself for over 20 years, my time in the military and out to manage my mental health. And to manage my, you know, unhealthy relationships with alcohol, with food, with all of these other escapisms that have become even more accessible through the pandemic and even more socially acceptable. And so I really want to talk about, you know, what it means to control them instead of having them control us. 
so important, such important work and such important language because you're right, this there's definitely been a movement and an understanding and awareness around kind of, I would call it even emotional maturity, you know, mm-hmm. having the wherewithal to know or to tolerate your emotions. Yeah. But I think underlying that is permission. And we were talking before we started recording how we're kind of of the same generation. Yes. And certainly when we were growing up, there was not only was there no permission, I think, for that, but it was not deemed um valuable or even wanted you know what was coveted was pull yourself up by your bootstraps rub some dirt on it and get back in the game right yes yes so I want to talk about that I I want to talk about that but I wanted to take a higher level view first and ask you what in particular about alcohol brought you to this work was it a personal journey and if you would share Yeah, I would love to hear more about that. Absolutely a personal journey. So going back to, you know, our mid to late 80s, I was suffering with a lot of depression. But at that point, I didn't know what it was. My parents didn't know what it was. No one knew what it was. And we weren't able to talk about those things. And that's when I started turning to alcohol to escape really early on. It was in my environment. My father has passed from liver cancer. And so, you know, it for my youth, it was just a part of what was around me. That was what he used and, and what, you know, his business life looked like was a lot of partying and things. And so that was available to me and I snuck access and started using it to quote, feel better, but we all know that that's not necessarily what happens. And so when I did, you know, fast forward to 21 years of age, that's when I really felt mentally and physically tough enough. There's that word again, tough enough to join the military, which was always a dream of mine to be in the Navy. Mm. And so in that culture, it is, you know, the drunken sailor culture is very, very accurate. It was even more of this, you know, let's forget about all the discomfort and stress and, and all of that. And let's just party, party, party. And so it wasn't until I started going out to sea, I was on destroyers. And then this is a very dramatic example, but you know, I didn't have access to it anymore. I didn't have access to that main escapism that I was leaning on to try to feel better and try to avoid these feelings. So what happened was I started to experience a sense of connection with myself that I hadn't ever had. You could argue because if I started drinking in my teens, now I'm in my twenties, almost mid twenties, you know, your awareness is growing anyway. So then I'm connecting with myself without alcohol and I wasn't, you know, consciously doing so, but in my time on land, when I wasn't at sea, I was feeling this huge difference in quality of life, like just this massive shift. And so that is really what inspired the process that has now become hashtag binging sober. It started with my relationship with alcohol. You were drinking on land is what you're saying. So yes, I was going right back into my old habits, not so much when I was traveling, but when I was home, thank goodness I wasn't, you know, wasting those opportunities away. But when I was home in San Diego, it was just a big you know, social happy hour, one big happy hour. And so I would get right back into that same routine and realize that my depression, these symptoms were coming back and it took me a while to put those two things together. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to, I want to double down on two things that come up for me as I listen to you speak, Colleen. The first is 
the acknowledgement that so much of our culture is mm-hmm. built around alcohol. Absolutely. And I think it's insidious. It's sneaky. Very the way sneaky. it gets in because we know that the, the person who opens up a bottle of wine during the day or in the morning or, you know, starts their morning with a can of beer like, ooh, that's, quote, bad. And so that may be a deterrent to doing that because we know on some level it's not socially acceptable. Part of the problem with alcohol is that it has become socially acceptable in so many of our circles, amongst sailors, amongst professionals, in my own profession, the medical profession, uh, which is surprising, but not lawyer. I mean, in every mommy and me circles, uh, child care, every venue of our lives is now around alcohol. And I think it's important because it normalizes it. Absolutely. But yeah. when you normalize something, you kind of, it's an inverted or a reverse shame because yeah. those people who find that they can't tolerate it, or maybe they just don't want to, because in your story, and this was the second point I want to get to, I'm not hearing this catastrophic event. You had a DUI, you drunk yourself into oblivion. It it was awareness that you wanted to pursue. There was nothing, to use your word, dramatic that made you uh, change. And so the first point is that I want to acknowledge that it's everywhere. And so it makes it seem okay when it really might not be. And second, we don't need to wait until something catastrophic happens or something catastrophic may never happen. But we can still question our relationship. And for you, you realize that it was not allowing you to be with yourself. So I I want you to get into that a little bit more and that realization. And what what does that even mean, being with yourself and being with your (laughs) relationship? What does that mean? Well, you know, I mean, that's the seat of our self-regulation is our connection with ourself, this keen awareness of what's happening inside, like what is happening inside. And since, you know, I was a part of this, all of us, we can argue are a part of this tough culture that is excusing or ignoring this entire half of a spectrum of feelings because we're perceiving them as bad when really they're a part of life that we need to move through and process in order to heal. Like that's what it was about for me is that I knew that I was, that I started using alcohol, overusing alcohol. Like you said, it's insidious. I mean, it's like, it it could just start with a happy hour. It could be, you know, for me, I was like, oh, I don't have a problem because I can go weeks without it. Well, no, if I'm binge drinking in one night, that's just as horrible for our brains and our, and our bodies and our minds and, you know, et cetera. So it really, like I said, became like this light bulb that I was feeling things like feeling things that I never felt. And really it was just normal everyday feelings that once I started to move through and process, I realized I was healing parts that were causing me or triggering me or giving me a cue to go drink to avoid. Right. So it, it allowed you to have a level of awareness that you wouldn't have otherwise had yeah. because you were using unbeknownst to you. Yes, uh, exactly. But, but the thing, the thing that in this case was the alcohol was soothing an emotion. And this is so universal because in my work, I talk about the hunger 
-hmm. and how we use food to suppress the hunger. But oftentimes, as we all know, when we find ourselves rummaging in the pantry, it's not physical hunger that drives us there. We're in the pantry and we're like, why the hell are we in the pantry? I just ate. And so the food is suppressing something else. And sometimes it's benign or simple, like really I'm just tired. It's 1130, I'm watching Netflix and I should just be asleep. And sometimes it's something deeper, like it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm watching Netflix, but my husband's asleep. And that makes me feel or reminds me that maybe we're disconnected or not as mm. uh, I'm lonely. And so that it, yeah. it, it's soothing a spiritual or emotional hunger. And so whether we're talking about alcohol or food, or you said the isms, whether it's yeah. Amazon or uh, working, exactly. or sexing or whatever it is, it's yeah. something that you, that we are doing mindlessly to soothe another emotion call it habitual escapism. So that's where hashtag binging sober started. But what happened was I started working on my relationship with alcohol and abstaining. And then I noticed that there were other isms underneath. Mm. So then it became about, "Mm, what is this? Like, what are all of these other things that I'm using and what else can I discover? And so hashtag binging sober is about abstaining from one of your unhealthy habits, be it part of a routine you know, a lot of these are unconscious. And since they're so socially acceptable, it's just a part of our everyday and we don't ever question it. So it's a matter of being an active participant in our lives and stepping away from something for as little as 24 hours. I find that creates just enough space to then start questioning it. You know, we have this giant sober curious movement. It's like 40 million plus people questioning their relationship with alcohol and the sober and binging sober is about abstaining from intoxication in every sense of the term so that we can create that space and that self-connection and really explore what this sober mind is. Like, what is this mental state that we're all looking for when we try to feel better, whether it be with food or alcohol or shopping or any of these things, we may not be thinking about it consciously, but there's a mental state that we are looking for or we're trying to get to. None of that stuff works. What works is really plugging in to ourselves and to our real life that we're avoiding with these things. And I think we know that on a conscious level, I think mm-hmm. if we think about it, it's like, you know, it's what our parents may have told us. It's what yeah. the gurus tell us. We, yeah. we recognize that being present is important. Mm-hmm. We recognize that all feelings are okay. And that when you avoid all the isms, um, that you can really connect with yourself, but can we be honest here for a minute? Sure, I love uh, it. <laughs> because the the reality is that it feels like shit sometimes to feel those emotions, okay. mm-hmm. uh, especially at the beginning. So, can you describe a little bit the before you got to this beautiful place where you were? connecting with yourself because you had no substance the rainbows and the butterflies yes can we <laughs> back it up sister yes please and, please and tell us a little bit about maybe the discomfort you experienced when you first started doing this yes. and how you managed it because I think when we give people the false hope or expectation that it's always roses and butterflies yes. we really do people a disservice because then they think oh, there's just something else wrong with me that I'm not getting to that place of 
Eureka and Euphoria. Hi friends, it's Dr. Adrian, and I'm dropping into your podcast to offer a love letter to you. I believe that our hunger represents our unmet emotional and spiritual needs. And by leaning in and listening to our hunger, we have an opportunity to hear our needs and to respond. I know this not only from personal experience, but from listening to the stories of hundreds, if not thousands of patients over the past almost 20 years. I have compiled these stories, including my own, into Hungry for More, Stories and Science to Inspire Weight Loss from the Inside Out. This book is not just about weight loss, but about life and contains lessons that I know to be life-changing. If you don't believe me, head over to my website at dradrianudeem.com where you can obtain a free sample or to amazon.com and check out the reviews for yourself. With the program, one of the things that I use is awareness, control, and balance of our escapisms, okay? Balance being, imagine a scale from negative 10 to zero, then to positive 10. Exactly what you said, you know, these rainbows and butterflies were thinking, oh, I need to be like elated all the time and giant smile on my face and just glowing in health for us to be okay. And what I'm saying is it's okay to just be okay. Be at that zero, that balance is the sober state that I believe we're all seeking, right? So with that, you know, I love earlier when we were talking about my not having a rock bottom, something very interesting happened to me in that during my time in the military at like the height of my drinking when I was 22 and the height of my mental toughness, I experienced an assault. I took full responsibility because I had been drinking. I rubbed some dirt on it, got back in the game and repressed those. I faced the people involved. I told them to forget about it like I would and I repressed it for 15 years didn't even think about it until it started haunting me following the military during all of this exploration of all of these things that I felt were impacting me. I actually revived or or unburied that trauma. So there was a lot of discomfort there. It is very scary. And I would put my life behind it. Going back to the, the uncomfortable feelings is the tough part. That's what I'm talking about with redefining mental toughness and adding that other half that we're missing as a society, that is the tough part. The tough yeah. part is the discomfort. And I know that, you know, it's just not so easy to say, but I still, depression doesn't go away. I manage it. And this is the system that I found helpful in managing it. It is from a strength-based perspective. I understand that, but I don't want listeners or readers to think that I'm sitting here saying rainbows and butterflies all the time, because it's actually quite the opposite. It's a very tailored, very individual thing that we all experience. Like what is elation? What is bliss? What does it mean to have a bad day? I mean, they're so individual and we have our ideas of what that, that might be. But when we do take the time to connect with ourselves, I'll give you my example. When I'm having what I would consider the blues or a you know, lower day and I'm allowing myself to just you know stay in my bed, zone out on TV, I'm allowing myself to do that. It's... It's a place of having the power over it that makes the difference. It's not just like this passive going along with life and never checking in. It's an understanding, an awareness of how these things impact me, in what amounts, in what frequency, in what ways can I use them so that the judgment of myself doesn't follow it. 
it's like you're judging. It's like kind of like you're just taking control. You're taking the reins and you're managing it instead of allowing it to control you. What comes to mind as I hear you speak is something that I talk about a lot with my patients, which is getting out of autopilot, mm-hmm. right? Because we Absolutely. do we do these things unbeknownst to us, not thinking. And I think maybe alcohol doesn't fall into that realm because you you know you know that you're doing it or you're in a setting where you're seeing it. But certainly when it comes to food, how often do we grab something and we don't even remember? Yeah. Uh, having eaten it because, because we weren't present. I often tell patients when I, if I tell somebody to, to write a food log, it's not so much because I'm doing the calorie counting of the days long gone. It's more that I want them just to recognize, oh yeah, I did maybe grab a handful of almonds while I was passing the kitchen. Oh yeah, I did ha- grab a handful of M&Ms from so-and-so's desk when I went in there to give them a document. I don't know. And it's not so much about saying, tisk, tisk, why did you do that? It's just that if we were so mindless that we didn't even dial in, chances are we didn't even enjoy it. We didn't feel it. Right. So it's just a matter of getting out of autopilot and dialing in. But to go back to this, to this um, issue of, of mental toughness being the ability to sit with difficult emotions, it really is distressing sometimes. And so I do want to just point out that we don't need to do this alone. You know, a therapist is a great person to help. Sometimes a coach, you know, if it's not something severe like depression or sometimes a coach or a life coach or something of that sort can help. But even practices and personal practices. So I talk about actionable bites on Health Bites podcast. Actionable practices like exercise, journaling, writing, being in nature. These are scientific evidence-based practices that help us tolerate the distress that is normal and human. Yes, exactly. And when I talk about escapisms... I'm talking about a spectrum from habitual escapism to purposeful escape. There are lots of things that are inherently toxic, right? Alcohol being the main, most accessible one that we experience in excess. That's inherently toxic. We know that at this point. Then there's these, there's a whole other spectrum that are potentially toxic. Social media, TV, food, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These things that because we're using them in the amounts, the frequency that we're using them, because we're judging ourselves for using them in certain ways, that's when they impact us in unhealthy ways. But then the natural escapes, everything that you were just mentioning, they're natural escapes. They're also altering our mental state. We could argue to the place we're trying to get. So that's what I say, you know, when being aware and and just managing them, it's knowing, hey, I'm exactly like you said, just simply paying attention. Hey, I'm doing this. This is how it might be making me feel. Like you said, you know, if I'm just grabbing something to eat, I'm not even feeling anything. Maybe I'm not even paying attention at all. You know, it's knowing that is just creating that awareness around it. But then understanding that with that time and that energy that you're getting back from not doing that thing, or if you do choose to do that thing, knowing exactly what you can do to reverse the impact. 
And there's something that you said, I'm a huge mental health advocate. If you said, I will give you $10 million right now, don't ever see your therapist again. I would tell you absolutely not. Never, ever, ever <laughs> would I do that. It has been the greatest adventure of my lifetime. Just, just healing and using, you know, uh, professional support like that. So I did want to point that out, but yeah, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to uncover under all of these things that we've just made a normal part of our day that are really, really the biggest threat to our health and our mental health as a society. I think it's worthwhile to point out, you know, since we're talking about alcohol, but all of these things, the social media, highly palatable foods, like yummy foods, mm -hmm. uh, so to speak, that these are all giving us a quick, you know, we, if we talk about dopamine all the time, it's like, even my, my nine-year-old knows about dopamine, but I love that. I love but that. It's worthwhile to point out that yes, these other things do give us that immediate reward. And yeah. I think there is this movement of like, why not, you know, why are we depriving ourselves? Why shouldn't we enjoy that reward? And this is not about being Puritan, right? Mm -hmm. But I, but it is worthwhile to say that those the degree of quickness of the reward actually is associated with the degree of habitual behavior. Yes, yes. Right? I'm so glad you brought that up. We actually get a fuller amount of you know neurochemicals happening when we have to work for something or when it's a bigger goal and it's not right there and we get to grab it. It's yes, more durable, it. right? Yes, it's not yes. quick, but it is more sustained. It's enduring. Yep. Yeah. So we and it's to a higher magnitude. And I think that's important to point out because if Absolutely. you're going to take away my glass of wine and my cheese, cheese board girl, you better give me something to hang on to. Okay? I always say that if you tell me not to eat popcorn, all I'm going to think about is the popcorn. So I'm not saying not to eat the popcorn. I'm saying just just put it off for, you know, a week and go to next week. <laughs> so let's get back to though putting it off because mm -hmm. there is this big movement, especially at the beginning of the year, dry January is a big one. And there's a big sober curious movement. And um, I, I've shared on Instagram with my patients or followers and that I was very much part of that wine culture. It started when I was actually a professional, not even, you know, when I was younger, but as an adult, and it was something very kind of fit with my, my professional social scene. It was only when several months ago, I decided to level up before I was doing my TED talk that I wanted all, you know, chemicals and substances yes. out yes. of my life. <laughs> and so I put away my glass of wine and as a result, realized, oh, wow, I, I didn't have quote a problem, but I am sleeping better. My mood is more regulated. Uh, all of these things, which then just made me consider continuing it. And so I've continued it, even though the TED Talk was done several hey. months ago. But I did notice that multiple times per week, I was in a situation where everybody around me was drinking and I wasn't, and I didn't have a problem, quote, problem per se. So I would have these thoughts of like, well, why shouldn't I? I don't really have a problem. And, you know, my husband's drinking and so-and-so. I mean, I'm at a party or I'm at a, at a dinner event or I'm at a kid's event. Like I said, there's like all these. I was at Halloween party for the kids. I mean, so many Everywhere. times. In the last several months where I was like, I felt like, oh my God, something's wrong with me because I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. 
Yeah. Can you address that? And can you can you address what were the tools? Because again, even if this is not forever, and even if you don't have a problem, if you are curious about putting away alcohol or one of these escapisms for a short period of time, you're going to need a tool yep. to manage the fact that everyone around you is doing it, right? So yeah. can you talk about that a little bit? And, and if you had any personal tips? Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, firstly, the fact that it's so accessible, the fact that we, you know, think we need to have a problem in order to back off, the fact that you're at a party and you feel like there's something wrong with you because you're not poisoning yourself. Like it's just so backwards. It's bizarre world. It really it is, is bizarre world. Yes. It really is. So I mean, obviously, you know, as a society, we need to start reversing that, and we are. I mean, we're seeing that with the sober curious movement, with a giant market for you know mocktails and all of these fun craft mocktails. I mean, all that stuff is fantastic, and it, it's also you know more accessible now, and it looks fancy, so you can actually feel like you're involved. And that's one of my tips is to feel like you're involved. If you don't have to tell anybody that you're not drinking, you can look like you are. I do that. I'll order a soda with cranberry, you know, or something in a, I'll ask for a nice glass, you know, very simple tips, but this, you know, we're retraining. So that's like a, more of a society, right? And then, and then our friend groups, we could question, but then it comes down to us and like tips for myself. Well, you've already talked about journaling, right? The reason why that's so important is because you're making Let's talk about self-connection again, but you know, you're retraining pathways in your brain. And so for me, I noticed that I would, because I was journaling and paying attention and now I'm not talking about this, like very, in, it doesn't have to be like pages upon pages of journaling. Right. I've used, I've tried different things. I've used emojis. I've used numbers. I've used like different things, whatever works for someone, whatever works for you, record it in your phone, use a note in your phone, make it easy and accessible so that you can refer to it because you're going to want to. So you're retraining this pathway in your brain that thinks you need to drink to have fun or drink to be involved or all of those things. So eventually I got to a place where it's like, instead of A to B, right? Like I need to drink in order to have fun. Is that B? Then it was these even one glass of wine messes with my sleep. I can't touch alcohol and have a good night's sleep. It doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter. Like it's, and that's another thing is as a society, we think we're sober after it leaves our, you know, our blood, our blood alcohol content or whatever. No, I mean, this stuff, you know, takes days to leave our system. So mm -hmm. when you're paying attention like that, you realize how long that one glass of wine is going to impact you. You also realize exactly what you said, the clarity that you have and how good you're feeling. So you're going to want to record all that and remember it for next time you think about having a drink because you're retraining a pathway to say, A, this glass of wine equals B, feeling like garbage. Right. And so it's just really making that a quick, like a quick um, understanding or a quick, like I said, pathway in your brain to make the decision not to act easier. It's taking me to this thought of really aligning with your why or aligning mm -hmm. with your values. And yeah. I think we can take this back to food too, which is my area of work that we can't, we can't isolate the experience to just that moment. Yeah. So we can't isolate the replic or the, I don't even want to call it a repercussion and make it negative, but we, we can't isolate just that moment that we had the glass of wine and we were like, ha 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 with our friends. Mm -hmm. We can't just look at that moment that we 
may have binged on excessive amount of sweets or binged on excessive amount of, you know, really heavy foods. We have to, because in that moment, if, yeah, it feels good. In that moment, it feels good. What we have to take into consideration is the whole picture. What happens 30 minutes later? What happens 60, 90 minutes later after that sugary binge, we crash we feel lethargic, we feel irritable, we feel tired. And that is part of the experience, not just that 30 minutes. What happens long term, we know that eating these kinds of foods is associated with a higher risk of depression and anxiety. And the same is true with alcohol. So part of what I hear you saying by the journaling and the awareness, again, it's not about becoming Nietzsche and having these profound existential thoughts. It's really about just noticing what happens, not just immediately, which is where we get hung up, but what is happening that night when you get disrupted sleep, right? Or what's happening the next day when then I'm leaning on caffeine to try to stay awake. What about the next day after that? Now we're on day three. I haven't slept well in two nights because I had alcohol that I had caffeine. I mean, this is the downward spiral that you hear or you read about in stats on mental health and suicide all of the time. This is that downward spiral. Now um, there's a lot, you know, that's pretty dramatic, but it can be as basic as that, that can really increase somebody's symptoms, whether they're diagnosed or not with a, you know, mental health challenge is that, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's additive. Like you're saying the energy I wake up with this morning, I started, well, we can say my entire life ago, you know, we, we create it day in and day out. And, and to reiterate the point that there doesn't have to necessarily be a problem We're right. we're in the midst of January, we, uh, even though the resolution culture is kind of dampened a little bit, we still think about ways that we can level up the year, right? It's a yes. new fresh month, fresh uh, year. And we, we think about how we can maybe do better for ourselves and, in that vein or in that light is how I want people to consider this conversation. Yes. Do you want to be more connected in your relationships? Do you want to be more present with your kids? Yell less, uh, enjoy more, or, you know, the, the workout that we all want to start come January 1st is the alcohol or is that habit preventing us from feeling awake and alert or even waking up earlier so we can get that time in for exercise, which is then linked to so many health, mental health and productivity benefits in the day. So if we can see this as more of a experiment, to, <laughs> right, to quote, yeah. like level up our current life, which is really how I think about these things. You know, I am always thinking about how could I do things a little bit Biohacking. better? You know, yeah. uh, I get triggered by that word, but you, you know. oh, interesting. I, I what do. would you call the reason why I said that is because I've been keeping data on myself for as long I, as I can remember. And when that word came out, I was like, ooh, because it just explained what I had been doing. So what is what is it that triggers? Well, you? I'll tell you, I think that um, I think sometimes it gives people this feeling that they have to do something um really sexy and out of the ordinary right to achieve yeah. okay. benefit i feel like these these habits are so available to us right mm -hmm. and you don't have to 
pay a biotech guru or yeah, put it butter have to be fancy. in your coffee, right? That just me. I don't want butter in my perfect... Why would you ruin a perfect cup of coffee by putting a, you know, coconut butter or oil in it? Ew. Um, we can just do the simple things, right? Yes, which is yes. which is move our bodies, get some sleep, remove uh, an ism that has been plaguing us. So. Um, <laughs> This has been wonderful, Colleen. I really appreciate this conversation and um, talking about uh, alcohol in the in a broader scope of tools that we can employ to to live better. I'm sure yeah. that um, I know you have offerings, and I'm sure that our listeners would be interested in learning more about you. So, how can they find you? And is there anything exciting that you're doing right now that you think our listeners would benefit from? Well, hashtag binging sober is the process that I've been talking about that I use to manage my time, my energy, to gain awareness, control, and balance of these escapisms that we find ourselves leaning on. And that you can find at bingingsober.com. That is my main focus. We've started with building a community on the 1st of January. In February, we launched the point system. So it's really about taking all of the subjective stuff that we've been talking about in this hour and really making it objective like it's a way to create your own blueprint for what feels good for you and what maybe doesn't that you want to manage and avoid so i'm going to stay away from the term biohacking it's like a <laughs> self intervention Thank that you. i've used that i've used on my own but also it's fantastic as a supplement to other professional support you know and and true abstinence programs and and true you know professional mental health therapy or whatever i support all of that but it's very easy and accessible. It's no cost right now at bingingsober.com. Amazing. And we will be starting to put those in the show notes so that people can refer to them and reach out to you. I'm sure that people will want to do that. I really appreciate you, Colleen, for being here. I appreciate our listeners for tuning in every week to Health Bite. If you found this information valuable, I would love it if you would share it with one friend who would benefit. And I look forward to seeing you all here again next week on Health Bite. Bye now.